0: Welcome, welcome, welcome. My name is Mikkel Thorpe, and this is the Expat Money Show. Today's guest is my partner and co-founder of Expat International School of Freedom and Entrepreneurship. His experience in the education system is vast and varied, and I've had the pleasure of working alongside him for almost three years now, creating this amazing program for students ages 8 to 19. In today's conversation, we will focus on expat families and the most crucial age for children. I'm excited to have him back on our show. Please welcome my good friend, Michael Strong. Michael, how are you? I'm well, delighted to be back, Mikhail. I'm happy to have you here. You know, you and I have done a lot of webinars together and conferences and spoke on stage and many, many things, but it all started on the podcast about three years ago when we met. And I think you and I were very philosophically aligned. We think very much alike. And it's just such a pleasure to have you back on the program today. So welcome back to
1: the show. Well, thank you. And we've got a lot of exciting projects going on that maybe we'll get into in a little bit here. Absolutely. So I guess... I'm not exactly sure where to start with this one. You
0: know, you and I were taking a private call a couple of weeks ago, and you were kind of updating me on the school and what's happening and where we've seen a lot of the growth. And you had really noticed over the last year or two that a lot of the growth is really coming from this middle school area, the 11 to 14 type of age groups. Maybe we can just kind of start with that part there. Like, why do you think that this is?
1: Sure. Well, maybe I'll give a little bit of frame for people who haven't been following us before in terms of school. And then then I'll go directly to that question. So we are an expat international school, virtual school, grades three through 12, ages eight to 19. But I think there are a couple of things that make it distinctive. One is it's very agency centric, you know, consistent with our emphasis on entrepreneurship and freedom. We encourage and develop students agency, including a highly personalized curriculum and entrepreneurial and creative projects. We also encourage a really warm, supportive community. And when I think of, I would say, the crisis of middle school, there are a lot of kids, and you know, for parents who have young children, a lot of times kids are okay, even in regular schools uh, when they're young. Some kids react negatively to regular schools, and I know amazing people who were unhappy in regular schools. But middle school is a crisis point. And of course, part of that is puberty. And it brings with it, at the most basic level, a lot more bullying. So bullying often becomes much more brutal, much more vicious in middle school. It also it brings kind of a growing awareness that as young people, you know, little elementary kids are willing to be told what to do. There's natural searching for agency, autonomy, as puberty develops. You know, In traditional tribes, at age 12, 13, a young man would be expected to go out and hunt his first deer. And so what many people perceive as the rebelliousness of adolescence, I see as a mismatch between the kind of very passive orientation most students are expected, most teens are expected to be, most lives, versus the kind of go out and prove yourself in traditional cultures of 12 or 13. So I'm very big on, yeah, kids doing real world entrepreneurial and creative projects as early as they're ready. And respecting their capacity to do real world sorts of things. So I think the combination of the incredibly negative social environment, and I could also mention things like gaming addictions, porn addictions, you know, social media addictions. There's evidence now that most teens are online about nine hours a day. And I think they go to school. Six or seven hours a day. And if they were to get eight hours of sleep, nine hours of online activity doesn't give them much time for anything else. Of course, they're often not sleeping eight hours and sometimes they're doing these things during the school day. But the fact is, all sorts of healthy activities that used to be more common work, uh, family time, family meals, outdoor time, going out and doing physical activity, these things are becoming gradually more and more rare for adolescents. And I love being online, but there is a negative world online. So I think that what parents don't realize is the world is changing very rapidly. If school is boring and meaningless and online is exciting and stimulating, and if school is also vicious and bullying, kids go in bad directions. So I'm all about you know, saving kids who otherwise could go in very negative directions in middle school.
0: So what about the families or the parents who would push back to then and say, but Michael, you run an online school you have an online school so then what is the dynamic with that if we're looking at online being part of the problem
1: no very very good question and so first we certainly encourage our students who are in online to do extra you know outdoor, outdoor activities outdoor activities is really are really important we've had their forest schools which are all based on kind of forest wilderness kind of activities and we've had students combine what we do virtually with forest school so we provide the kind of academic side the other thing is we're very high engagement. You know, most of our classes are dialogue-based. We're talking, discussing ideas, problem-solving, working together. And so it's not a passive activity. For me, the fundamental distinction is between being passive on the one hand versus being active. And we also are developing healthy, positive peer relationships. You know, sometimes our kids do do mean things to each other, get on each other's cases. One thing about being high-touch, 15 to 1 ratio in classes Every student has a mentor they meet with every other week. This high human touch, which is absolutely essential, just as a side point, huge literature on school connectedness, almost all adolescent dysfunction, including depression, anxiety, suicide, early teen, early pregnancy, substance abuse, all this is connected with if teens are not connected to school and parents, they are prone to all of these bad things. So... Connection in school is really important for adolescent well-being. We're very high touch, super connecting. So even though we're virtual, I think the agency autonomy we give to students, the respect we give to students, the connection community we give to students is absolutely invaluable. And then, yeah, go to a wilderness school, go play baseball after school, go to your martial arts. You know, we do have world-class athletes because we're so flexible. So I, I think, great, great question. And I like doing this brick and mortar and As you know, we may have a brick and mortar place in Panama a year from now. So the intention is to do hybrid, some virtual, some brick and mortar around the world. But in the meantime, we're an incredibly flexible virtual option that provides the agency and community teams need.
0: I think it's also important that people understand our program, Expat International School, it is not a video program. This is not YouTube videos that they download and watch a curriculum. It's not only one directional. Actually, everything is going back and forth. There's a lot of peer interaction. There's interaction with the guide in the program. So it's not just uh, consuming content or just passively receiving. You actually have to participate throughout it. And I think that that is one of the most amazing pieces of the program. Because when you compare it to like a traditional homeschooling course, you know, that is often what you get. It is downloaded video programs and maybe they're a year old, maybe they're five years old. Maybe the things are not relevant and they certainly do not speak to your child's individual learning ability.
1: No, that's a really great point. And yeah, basically you can learn anything for free on the Internet right now. Uh, there are an infinite number of free resources to learn anything. And some of them are very good. For instance, we have a Python course where we use Python for everyone, a great free online curriculum. But And if your child can sit alone in their room and get huge value from free curricula and don't need human connection, okay. I, but I, most kids re- really need the human connection. So And our human connection is not merely, merely socialized. And it is thinking and discussing ideas together. It's all interactive. 15 to 1, thinking, talking about ideas in Python and math, problem solving, figuring it out, arguing about how to solve it, helping each other solve it. So what really is needed, in my view, given that there's an infinite free curricula, most, I tempted to say almost all young people need a community, a positive community of learners. And we are experts in providing a positive community of learners with our Socratic guides who help to draw out the students and, and help shape their conversation to be productive, learning focused, as opposed to some of the things that students might talk about on their own, which are not always productive and learning focused without adult guidance.
0: Well, also, you had mentioned a few minutes ago about high-level athletes and the flexibility that the program allows. Now, I think that this is one of the most attractive pieces of it for international families. You know, we're expats, digital nomads, perpetual travelers. You know, maybe mom got a job overseas, dad got a job overseas, or they just want a different standard of living or or, or a different a change of view, let's say, that flexibility really comes in handy with this program. Maybe we can discuss a little bit about the flexibility in the program so people have a full understanding.
1: That's a huge value proposition we offer is, first of all, since it's virtual, obviously you can move anywhere. Right now, all our cohorts are based on the U.S. central time zone. So anywhere in the Western Hemisphere, no problem. We do have quite a few families in Europe, the Middle East, and some in Africa. Those, you know, have to be in the evening right now. At some point, we'll have a cohort right there. We also have interest from Asia, and eventually we'll get an Asian cohort. But within the Western Hemisphere, we've got families who six months here, six months there, three months here, three months there, or just open-ended. We'll go to Costa Rica and see if we like it or not. We also, as you say, have world-class athletes who they may have a lot of miss a lot of Fridays because of tournaments or races or competitions, or whatever. and. We can accommodate that. Everything we do is so personalized. The engagement, the social engagement is important to do regularly. But beyond that, you know, students do math at their own pace. They can do two years of math in one year, half a half year of math in one year. It's so personalized. Everything is about what's best for your child. I'll give you one other interesting use case. I have a father who's an entrepreneur who buys and sells real estate. And he and his son are actually going to move around and his son is working with him on the buying of the real estate, which sounds like a lot. But again, I love apprenticeship. Basically, his son will be apprenticing and looking at different real estate properties within a couple of days drive of their home. And they can go and drive for two days, look at a piece of real estate. His son still does the education, but meanwhile, gets to work with dad. So insofar as you know, learning, having your child learn the kinds of adult activities you're doing, this allows that kind of flexibility. And I think that's an amazing opportunity.
0: Well, I think in my own family, my eldest child is almost seven years old. So she's just a tiny bit too young for our program. But first of all, this is the first and only program that I ever felt safe and secure about sending my child to, something that was philosophically aligned with how with our worldviews. But when I think about her, you know, she's been to 16 countries already. She's on the road with us all the time like she, we were just in dominican republic last week she'll be back in canada with my wife for a visit in 2 weeks you know she travels all over the place with us not necessarily every single trip but enough that we need to be able to have that flexibility that fits our lifestyle and our business you know we run a family business it's not just me going to a 9 to 5 and leaving everyone behind i want to bring my kids with me i want them to participate in these types of things
1: big time. And the other thing is our core classes are four hours a day. Then we've got another half an hour of math lab, which is optional. We can be scheduled flexibly. So if your child is working with you at home, traveling with you, wherever your home is, Dominican Republic this week, Mexico next week, whatever... Yeah, they get online for four hours a day. They can miss classes when they need to, but they can. You can live with your children, and your children can live with you and have real lives, as opposed to a situation where they get up early in the morning, they go to school, they are tired, bored, angry most of the day. They come back late at night and get online, and you never have activities together. I would say this actually allows for a lot more family bonding because you know you can do things with your kids, and they can do things with you, and they can you can still have a real life.
0: Well, then. Explain why our program is only four or four and a half hours long a day, but traditional school might be seven and a half or eight hours a day.
1: Well, to start with, I would say most time at most schools is crowd management, classroom management. I would say prison guards, or, you know, basically there's a lot of time spent going from this class to that, getting started again, and so forth. So, one, our classes are four hours or two two two-hour periods that are both long, serious, and deep. And the other thing is, yeah, any content transmission, the kids can watch videos, they can read articles, they can do things outside of class. The only time to be together is not for the content transmission, which is out there, it's to engage constructively, intellectually, deeply with the content. So we focus, I would say, on the most important part of being together, The interaction between students and students, guides and students, the whole intellectual dynamic. And then, yeah, they can go and get the other work done outside of class and they don't need to have their day constrained to do all the, I would say, silly rituals a lot of schools force kids to do.
0: Well, and I would also say that. With focus, there are diminishing returns. So you can only make so many decisions in a day. You can only be focused for so much time in a day. I know at the end of an eight hour day, 10 hour day, 12 hour day at work, I'm done. My brain, you know, we describe it in the family like my brain is mush. I don't want to choose what I'm making for dinner, what we're going to eat tonight, what we have to do, what we're going to watch, what I'm going to read. I like, I just, I am absolutely done. And I'm a growing man. I mean, I'll be 40 in a couple of weeks. I can only imagine an 11-year-old or something like that with so much stimuli and eight hours of class and trying to ram things in and... You know, as you said, herding cats, you know, all over the place, start and stop and interruptions. You know, that's not an efficient or an effective use of anyone's time, let alone a child's time who don't have the skills already in place to be able to manage these things.
1: Yeah, no, there there have been a lot of homeschoolers that years ago discovered that just to cover the standard curriculum at school is two or three hours a day. It's trivial. And really, covering standard curriculum is trivial. But I would say, and, and you're right. I think four hours of creative, serious, intellectual work is a lot, you know, and there, there's a whole literature on this and people who do serious focus work. You know, we all have other work kind of mindless catching up on emails and things like that. can do another other times, but really high quality cognitive work, four or five hours a day is a lot. And our, I would say our four hours are high octane, serious cognitive work. And yeah, then they have other activities they can do outside, but we're basically optimizing for what to do when we're together and not having all of the cats, herding cats prison management situation.
0: Well, with having an international family, I mean, it is very attractive. You know, the child goes, does their program for a few hours in the morning, maybe takes a bit of a break, does a couple more hours, and then by mid-afternoon, early afternoon, done. Now you can go out there, enjoy the day, enjoy the beautiful beaches in Central America and the Caribbean, play with the other kids, Like there's always tons of activities. My daughter is in love with karate. So she does hours and hours of karate every day. She never seems to tire from it. And she's just learning so, so fast. And we do all her homeschooling stuff in the morning. You know, a couple hours of reading in Chinese, in English and in Spanish, and then a little bit of arithmetic. And then the afternoons are, are karate and piano and going to the park or swimming or these types of things. Lots of kids, lots of other interaction with families from all over the world. And when we travel and we go to different places, she's right there with us. We don't have to ask anyone's permission to take you know our child out of school. The police are not going to be banging on the door that you know that your child is tardy or delinquent from school. I mean, I find it so amazing in today's day and age how the state really believes that the children belong to them, when I believe that children belong with the family.
1: Yeah, I I completely agree. And ironically, a lot of conventional private schools have that same, I would say, sort of authoritarian orientation. I think part of it is in many, in most jurisdictions, most cities, there are not a lot of competing options. And so private schools can kind of be picky. But as we see more school choice, more school options, more diverse options, parents shopping more. I think we're all becoming, and there is a new generation since COVID, there's an incredible new generation of online educational models, in-person alternative models. And I think we're moving towards much greater customer choice, customer service. Often, when I start talking to a kid, the first thing I ask is, what do you love? What do you care about? And most of these kids have never had an adult Ask them what they they love and what they care about. It's all about this is what you're going to do and this is how you're going to do it, that kind of thing. With parents, parents ask they can take a week off here or there and like, yeah, no problem. You know, these are your assignments. We can be certainly flexible. And it sounds strange even to brag about it because a restaurant doesn't say, you know, you have to be here at this time and this is what you're going to eat for dinner and, you know. You know, it's ridiculous. The rest of the economy is based, or most of the rest of the economy is based on consumer choice with different providers competing to provide the best experience. And so the way to think about it is, you know, we are part of this new wave of schools that are catering to the customer and trying to provide the customer with a great experience. And I think everybody's going to be much happier when they realize that education should be provided by entrepreneurs working to provide great experiences rather than imperious bureaucrats, you know, shaming, blaming, attacking, you know, arresting. You're right, people get arrested for, uh, you know, not sending their kids to school. Actually, quick anecdote, this will be fun for you. Years ago, 20 years ago, I uh, read about John Taylor Gatto, who's, you know, one of my heroes, one of the most important people to read on education. He wrote about uh, two teenagers, age of 13, middle school, who didn't wanna go to school in Florida. And the hack they figured out was they registered a private school. They basically created a private school, registered it themselves, and then attended their own school. And they sent reports to the state based on And they're just two 13 year old boys. And I thought it was such a brilliant hack. And I always wondered I heard they grew up to be entrepreneurs. I always wondered what happened to them. I was actually talking to somebody about, you know, one of my other interests is free cities, startup cities, new jurisdictions. Somebody made an introduction to me in that world. And it turned out one of them, his name is Charles Champion was one of these two teenage boys. And so I recently discovered a teenage boy who'd done this hack. And yes, indeed, grew up to be an entrepreneur and is doing a lot of interesting things. So yeah, if you have to escape from the state and it's, you know, fangs, maybe you can start your own school. One of the best (laughs) 13-year-old projects I've ever heard of.
0: Amazing. Well, bringing up the uh, free private cities and charter cities, I had lunch on what was it, Monday or Tuesday with Titus and Alex Voss, Titus Cable and Alex Voss. Here in Panama, they flew over to visit me. Really fantastic, guys. And it's going to be really interesting to see as those projects go forwards and the schools that we'll be able to build for the families in those communities as well. So I, I have some insider information, but I'm not going to be able to put it out on, online quite yet. But maybe in a few months, we'll have some very interesting projects in the works in regards to them. I, actually, I want to bring things a little bit full circle. And go back to the middle school. So I want to understand, or I I suppose I really want parents to understand, you know, if their child is in this certain age, this is the time that they really need to be thinking about these types of things. So let's try to focus a little bit on that middle school age group and why parents should think about this today opposed to a year from now, five years from now.
1: Yeah, so a couple of things. And by the way, I do want to put you on the spot about your own middle school experience. So let's not forget <laughs> that. But so first of all, middle school puberty is a critical period for cognitive and emotional development. Often people are aware of zero to three is a critical period of human development, early childhood for sure. But often they forget or don't know that puberty is another one. And in terms of cognition and emotional Uh, well-being it's absolutely essential two things I think not enough people are aware of both mental illness and focusing on anxiety depression although some evidence that bipolar and schizophrenia as well as addiction are typically uh, adolescent onset but they can be lifelong chronic debilitating conditions and there is evidence that if one is healthier and more well during adolescence one is less likely to have both mental illness and or functional mental illness and then addiction are described as chronic diseases of youth. It is if youth are in distress for a period of time, you know, during puberty and afterwards, say from 11 to 16, 17 or whatever, sometimes they are permanently harmed. And, you know, many recover, you know, both from mental illness and uh, addiction. You know, not so often schizophrenia, but anxiety, depression, and so forth. But why, why put your child at lifelong risk for these serious debilitating things? One example, I've, I've known students who've gone to elite private schools and elite universities and graduated as heroin addicts. Like, okay, you won the status game and your child is suffering. So I, I, I can't emphasize enough how important it is to make sure your child feels safe, connected, protected. It feels agency, is respected, is not being bullied. Any issues that come up are addressed. Online is a vicious world. So the other thing is to have a safe, positive community online, you know, on the wilderness online. I can tell parents absolutely horrifying stories of, you know, sexual abuse and predators online. So, of course, there's cybersecurity. But I would say in the worst of those things, the child's emotional needs are often not being met. So children get into bad situations when their emotional needs are not being met, whether it's, you know, smoking marijuana or getting in terrible Facebook groups or Reddit groups or, you know, 4chan or whatever. So, you know, I, I feel as if it's a life or death situation, not to be overly dramatic. I've got a friend, Matt Barnes, who's a parent coach, and he describes a, a situation as if your child is bleeding in an emergency room, you demand that they get help right away and you know again not every teenagers are emotional i'm not claiming that every emotional teenager is in crisis but look at the actual environment at the school your child is attending would you be happy sitting in these desks six to seven hours a day would you be happy maybe going into their bathrooms or maybe kind of get beat up, put your head in the toilet or whatever. Would you be happy having people play nasty status games to you all day? I and mean, I think by any standards of human happiness, you and I have talked about how as adult entrepreneurs, life is fun, rich, dynamic. It's wonderful. And life is wonderful. And from that kind of a standard, uh, if you've managed to create a wonderful life for yourself, why on earth would you put your child into a social emotional hellhole during the most critical periods of their adolescence? Uh, you know, and going back, this is one of the reasons I encourage parents to get their children in a better environment prior to middle school, because, you know, if you wait till sixth grade, it could already be too late. So, uh, that, enough of a rant.
0: No, it's a good rant. We have seen a ton of movement in the Bitcoin markets recently and the influx of new wallet addresses and people coming into the space is insane. However, there are some serious privacy and security issues by using traditional exchanges and methods of Bitcoin. That's why I want to recommend every one of my subscribers to check out MyPrivateBitcoin.com. It is a detailed course on everything related to privacy and Bitcoin. This is for experienced people to the crypto space all the way to people new to Bitcoin. Go to MyPrivateBitcoin.com. PrivateBitcoin.com, And for Expat Money listeners, you will receive 25% off the program. Go to MyPrivateBitcoin.com to learn more.
1: Do you want to talk a little bit about your own experience in middle school?
0: Well, I think that most people who listen to my program know that I left school at a very young age. You know, I was diagnosed with, quote unquote, a learning disability, you know, dyslexia, which is I don't really think a very big deal whatsoever, you know, in today's day and age, but 1980s, it it apparently was. And it was enough to pull me out of my neighborhood school and single me out, you know, in front of hundreds of other children and, and put me in a class that was a special needs class. And yeah, it was a pretty horrendous experience. I mean, all around, like what you had painted a picture of getting Picked on and bullied, and going to the bathroom. And, you know, I got in so many fights. I still, at 40 years old, my nose is broken. One day I will get this fixed, but I've had my nose broken a couple of times from being in fights. I got hit another time. My tooth went right through my lip. I got in a fight another time. My teeth were knocked out at the bottom. I still have dental work to do on that. I was in the hospital. I had concussions. This was all from anywhere from, you know, grade six. Six, seven, eight, nine type of thing, and I just absolutely hated it until a point where I just refused to go. And even you know, my parents would try to force me to go, and I would lie and cheat and pretend and make excuses. I remember my father would leave for work, and then I'm supposed to be gone like half an hour behind him, and he would park like down the street or something like that and watch the front door. And I knew that he was going to be watching. So I would like pretend to go and then I would like double back and I would head back to the house. So like I did all these elaborate plans. He would come into the house and I'd be hiding behind the couch or underneath the bed or something like anything not to go to school. It was a brutal experience for me. So, you know, when we describe it as like a penal colony or or prison, for me, that was how it was, you know, that that was my experience. I understand not everybody went through what I went through, but I think that there are enough families and enough kids that go through difficult times on this that we needed a solution, you know. And that's why I'm such a fan of your work, Michael, because this is a viable solution. You know, we've taken a lot of your fantastic ideas, you know, your lifelong work in Socratic thought and Socratic dialogue, and brought it online and then taken it to an an international market, you know, we've we've taken these amazing concepts and adapted them to international families. So all of my families who are looking for a viable option for their children so that they can go and live their lives as they see fit and explore the world and have an amazing life outside of their home country or, or their little neighborhood, you know, this is the option. This is the, the way to go about it. So I just think it's really, really important work.
1: Well, well, thank you. And just before moving on to some other things related to the kind of cool opportunities that some of our kids are getting into, what percentage of the incidents did you report to your parents? Uh, I imagine if they were really bloody and bruised, they would know, but I bet you only reported a tiny percentage of what actually happened. I think only the things where I ended up in the principal's office, it was only the things that we actually got caught. But there's
0: probably, you know, the, the schoolyard's pretty big and there's a lot of areas that you could kind of be out of sight or you'd be, I'd be going for a walk at the back and then someone would say something and then push you and then you push them back. And like, I would never claim like I didn't hit back. I definitely did. You know, I had a background in martial arts and I was never scared of anyone, even though I was much smaller, like half the size of anyone else. Mm -hmm. I always, you know, would stand up for myself, but it's all the backhanded comments, the way that people look at you, the overall four or five people On one type of thing, even if it wasn't a physical assault, a lot of it was very much a a mean spirited emotional one. Cause, like, think so, I'm dyslexic. I'm in a special class. I don't know anyone. I'm on across town. We take a little white bus, which is synonymous with special eds. And like I said, I'm even now, I mean, I'm only five foot eight. I'm not a huge guy by any means. I'm slight build. So it was just like an all round easy target. I think that I was probably very ashamed. And thought that it was thought that it was probably a lot of my fault because I was stupid, quote unquote, and because I was small and because that I did not, you know, talk to my mother every day about it or my father every day. And my mother left to where like she my parents were separated when I was 12 so that my dad was there at the house. And that was kind of that age as well. So. You know, it was it was many things at
1: once. But I guess what I'm thinking in part is, I think that many most kids don't tell their parents even a only a tiny fraction of what actually happens, and so I'm I've I've known cases where kids literally committed suicide, and the parents didn't know the child was being bullied, and so this this is why my message to parents is, if your child is not thriving, take it seriously, because they're not going to tell you. You know, it is it is shame you know, and and there is this sort of, you know, attitude that, yeah, you're not even supposed to tell your parents, you're just supposed to put up with it. And, you know, you can put up with some stuff. And, you know, I do want kids to be tough and resilient, but every day, the kind of barbarity that goes on, while no learning, that's the other thing, you know, if this was the only way on earth to learn something, but There's almost no learning, and they're being bullied all the time. Or or if not being bullied, it's just just a dreadful environment. When uh, my children, they went to a great Montessori school, and then I moved across the country to start a high school, and they had to go to public school for a few weeks. And it was the best public school in Broward County, so this is supposed to be a really good one. But uh, my kids complained. Their mother and I went and looked, and it looked like, yeah, Lord of the Flies, nothing else than the lunchroom. Kids were throwing food and insulting each other and yelling and screaming. And we raised our children up to be focused, quiet, respectful, thoughtful people. And there's just no way that I wanted my kids in that environment. And so we pulled them immediately, unschooled them the rest of the year, and completely happy that we escaped. And my son read a Cartoon History of the Universe by Larry Gonick, learned more history in three days of reading a fun <laughs> book than he would have been the entire year in his boring history textbook. I think it's also to your point about
0: the, the prison system and the school system, because I think that also at that age, you're kind of conditioned that if you speak out, if you told the teacher or your parents or the principal or something like that, then you're a rat. Well, I think that that's the same type of behavior. I don't know. I've never been in prison, but I've, I've watched lots of movies and things like that. And I'm sure that that's something they really don't like. So you're still conditioned in that way where you're not supposed to speak out.
1: Yeah, exactly, and and what same parent would send their kid to JV for the most sensitive periods? But well, you're right, it's not that different. Certainly, large public middle schools are Lord of the Flies. But kind of to switch to more positive thing, you know, the other thing about getting kids doing entrepreneurial projects is sometimes, and this goes even back to the virtual one. So I've got a student who had a great semester with us last fall, and as part of his project, he went to Roatan to visit Prospera, and. As a consequence, he met chief architect there and has now got an internship where he's actually not attending our school for the semester, but he's learning key software tools and is helping with incredible architectural projects as an intern. And that's the sort of real world thing we want kids to do. In a different case, a student you and I know where we're positioning her to actually help with an on-the-ground school. And there's a lot of work in preparation for that. And so part of this orientation towards the real world, rather than passively sitting in school, to other students who are coders, they're doing uh, Repl.it bounty competitions. You know, I've got a student who's interviewed hundreds of adults around the world and is starting her own software outsourcing company. So this whole real-world orientation, again, goes back to student agency. We want them, just like a young man went out to Hunt his first year at 13, we want young people to be taking on real-world tasks and achievement. We provide support. It's not just pushing them in the swimming pool, but whether it's an internship, teaching them the initial skills. Something I didn't mention is our Wednesday elective program is mostly digital digital skills. They can learn software development, video production, audio engineering. We actually have a generative AI course where we're learning how to use chat GPT and uh, mid-journey effectively. You know, and so kids love digital skills. If they're going to be online, let's have them be creators rather than, then, you know, passive, you know, consumers. And so there's this whole transition. I would say it's about a way of being. So one way of being is going to a prison-like schools, learning nothing while being beat up. The other is actually becoming an active creator, starting an amazing entrepreneurial life when you are 12, 13, 14, 15, whatever.
0: Well, how are the programs going? Do we have the blockchain program in in effect this year or
1: is that coming in next year? Because I think that that's going to be a really important one. That's coming in next year. We, we advertised one. We advertised the blockchain elective, but only had three students interested. So we have to get to oh, wow. critical mass. Yeah, the generative AI course, it started with seven students, but we're up to nine students. And so with all of these things, you know, we have to get a critical mass, like to have at least 10 to get a class going. But if it's seven, eight, nine, it looks like it's growing. We'll go ahead and go for it. But yeah, I I would say... The whole thing, we're at about 160 students total and constantly new students. We've got some students part-time, some students full-time, incredibly flexible. We have the option of continuing with some programs over the summer. And so again, the whole idea is a learning community that provides multiple pathways for your child to do amazing things and not a top-down, you know, this is what you have to do right now. And we see ourselves as professional coaches and mentors to students. And if your child is, you know, I think of was as a young racehorse. Let's, uh, you know, executives have coaches today. Why not have your child have a coach and mentor and learning community, so they can get started now doing cool stuff.
0: Well, the last kind of comparison I would like to make, I suppose, between traditional school or or, or state-run school, I should probably uh, more accurately call it, and our program is the, the courses, the classes, the content that is being talked about and learned in our program is actually things that are going to be applicable in the future. You know, I find that a lot of the things that are being taught in today are for careers that won't even exist in 10 or 15 or 20 years, you know, so we, it's this preparing children for something that they will never need in the real world. And with our example of blockchain and AI and so many of the other programs, I think that that is the future, you
1: know, that that really is the future for a lot of people. You know, exactly. And just, you know, because ChatGPT has gotten a lot, GPT has gotten a lot of media. One of There's sort of this terrifying people in conventional high schools and colleges are terrified that people, students will just use ChatGPT to, to cheat and student essays are over. They'll just cheat all the time. Couple of things on that. One, you know, writing is an important skill. Communicating is an important skill. Organizing one's ideas will always be important. There are a number of verbal skills that are super important. And Chat GPT does not eliminate those. So on the one hand, simply Socratic dialogue, thinking, talking, arguing in real time in person, A, you're not going to cheat. You don't want to cheat. It's fun and interesting and you're developing the ability to think about ideas and organize them but two that's an essential prerequisite to writing essays so when we talk to our students about chat gpt they would say but we want to say our essays our ideas no they've just been arguing with their friends they've been developing their essays to have chat gpt write for them without their input is not fun or interesting that said in our chat gpt class they're looking at hey ChatGPT can provide a first draft, but then we have to really hone in on the revision process because the first draft is mediocre garbage in a certain sense. You know, But if they have a distinctive point of view, then they have to rewrite it and put their point of view in. But there was a good article I read called Autocomplete for Everything. And that's perspective was, instead of thinking of AI, generative AI as replacing human beings, just like autocomplete You know, sometimes autocomplete makes embarrassing gaffes and you, you know, send a chat to somebody, whoa, you idiot, that was horrible. But it's also convenient, you know, type two letters and all of a sudden you get a phrase. Likewise, one way to think about chat GPT is you write a prompt and it writes a draft of an essay and then you can go in and write a thoughtful, deeper, more nuanced version of your perspective. And so it's just an autocomplete that needs to be refined and corrected. But as such, it can leverage our work. Tremendously, our digital marketer is using ChatGPT to accelerate his productivity and marketing all of time, so you're exactly right. You know, the whole world of education was designed 100 years ago, because it's state run, it's mostly static, pretty modest changes over 100 years, but every year its obsolescence is accelerating. And so, yeah, I have two grown kids, but if I had kids, I would no way consider putting them in a conventional school, unless I had no other options.
0: No, that makes perfect sense. Without getting into exact numbers, let's say, I just want to understand, or maybe more accurately, I want my audience to understand kind of the difference because I think that so many people are used to education being free or they think that it is a a God-given right that everything should be free in the field of education. You know, first off the bat, you know, this is not a free program. Michael and I are both entrepreneurs. We're doing something to provide value to the marketplace, very high value. I would like to kind of get your perspective or possibly what you say to parents who ever push back on the price points for our programs.
1: Sure. I mean, first of all, going back to what I earlier said, if it's a matter of life or death, duh. And uh, years ago, uh, 20 some years ago, I was doing a Montessori middle school in Palo Alto, and we were 18,000 a year. And I'd see parents complain, but they drive up in a $100,000 car, probably $150,000 car today. They'd live in a million, $2 million house, probably worth 4 or $5 million today. And OK, complain about 18,000. So our price points at expat are 15K for the full accredited high school, 12K for the full elementary and middle school. But we have low price points. We have a Python coding club for $100 a month. We have a humanities club for $350 a month. So part of this is, you know, mix and match. Again, we're not telling you what to do. But one of the reasons many homeschoolers and maybe a third of our families are homeschoolers is because when children get into adolescence, Again, you can get free online, free homeschooled content online. Go for it. But what they don't get is the warm, positive community, and in particular, an intellectual learning community. So ours is an exceptional community that's really hard to cobble together on your own. And they don't get the adult mentorship and curation. You know, we are in touch with cool things like generative AI, blockchain, and, you know, Our kids are taking Harvard CS50, Harvard Introduction to Computer Science course. So we're curators of great content, providing this community and then mentorship. And yeah, if you can do it for free on your own, go for it. But I think many parents who are serious about their child's education and realize public school is dangerous garbage for many kids, then they either homeschool for free, but quickly realize, no, it's nice to have help. And I, I think actually some of our most grateful parents are those who have tried to homeschool for free and realized really nice to outsource it. Some people have described what I do as homeschooling by professionals. And yeah, it's nice to have help doing it.
0: Well, that's how you described it to us, to me on our first call together almost three years ago. And that really spoke to me a lot, you know, because I, I would consider myself a homeschooler, a homeschooling family. I've, I've been saying I was going to homeschool my children since I was, 12, 13, 14 years old, something like that, long before I ever had children, I knew that I would never send my child to a state-run school. But this definitely speaks to me, you know, the program that you've developed and and we've put together for Expat International School is that, that professional aspect to be able to support the families and help them through all of these things. If people want more information, you guys can go to expatschool.io, expatschool.io. There's actually a calendar on there that connects right with Michael's calendar. So if you guys want to discuss these types of things, if you want to talk about your children or what they're going through or maybe to see if the program would be a good fit, even, you know, if it's a part-time or a full-time or if it's, you know, some of the supplementary things to help your child in what they're already doing, you know, I would encourage you guys to reach out to us, Because I think that this is such a fantastic program. And as I said earlier, it really is the only program I've seen in the world where I would feel comfortable about putting my children in. You know, I'm, I'm actually very excited for my daughter to begin the program in, you know, maybe 18 months or something like that when she's at that, that right age. So I think we're pretty much close to our time here, Michael. Anything you would like to say to wrap up or to give some parents some advice for these types of age groups or anything we've been talking about today?
1: Well, actually, one feature I'd like to mention that we didn't mention is the in-person. So last year we did a trip to Greece, which was super exciting. We're doing it again, which is super exciting. And yeah, we're talking about having trips to Panama as well. And so although we are virtual, I would say part of our big value is community. Once you, a lot of this is like-minded. I think people who believe that this is what education should be like really want to bond the parents and children alike and so it's really great in addition to our virtual bond to bond in person. And so I want to emphasize that that's part of what we do. In terms of parents interested in following me, I'm very active on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. And feel free to reach out. Love to talk to you. I'm happy to, even if your child is not a good fit, happy to talk to parents. I'm passionate about well-being of children. And I know that you can be a world-class success on in a non-traditional route. So Any parent who's interested, please reach out to me and let's help your child have an amazing life.
0: Well, amazing final point, because you're absolutely right. Here at Expat Money, we are all about community. I have another business partner, Michael, you know him, Patrick. We are building a physical community here in Panama. Details will be coming out over the next couple of weeks. I'm actually driving out there to see the property this weekend, but we've just acquired 50 acres outside of Panama City, about an hour away from Panama City on the beach. And that will be the home of our first physical school for Expat International School. You know, we've got, I don't know, a half a dozen families here in Panama who are already participating, the kids are participating in the program. And we're excited to grow that and have a real life place in person that the children will be able to meet up and spend time together. And, you know, we'll be piping in some of the information from some of the world-class instructors and guides that we have all over the world. And then we'll have some local instructors here who will be able to help with languages. There's just so many exciting things that will be happening with the school and with both of our communities. So I think that it's just fantastic. Terrific.
1: Great talking to you again, Mikhail. I look forward to our next convo.
0: Absolutely. Thank you so much, Michael. And for everybody who's interested, expatschool.io, you'll find all the information there. Thanks so much. For those interested in moving to another country, I highly recommend learning the local language before you arrive. After traveling for the last 23 years straight, I have seen many people fall into the expat bubble trap. This is where you move to a new country and you only talk to people from the USA or Canada and you are unable to make local friends. The best way to combat this is by having an understanding of the local language. And the best program I have ever seen for this is storylearningcourses.com. These are the programs I use to go from very crummy language skills to fluent in no time flat. The courses are fun and easy to understand, and most importantly, really work. No matter where you are in your language learning abilities, go to storylearningcourses.com. That's storylearningcourses.com to learn more.